to another edition of the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm Anthony Stalter, joined as always on the pod by John Paulson, who I'm sure is getting ready for tonight's Packers game against the 49ers. He is, of course, the uh, biggest Green Bay Packer fan that I know. What's up, John? <laughs> uh, not much. How you doing? Good, good. Falcons got a win yesterday. It, it, it of course, was in heart-stopping fashion, which is nothing new for Falcons fans. But, yeah, it's nice to finally get a win in a lost season. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a game against the 49ers tonight uh Aaron Rodgers seems to enjoy playing the 49ers since they passed on him for uh Alex Smith years ago uh I just wanted to mention at the top of this that the uh we are having like a giant windstorm here in Southern California it's like 25 to 35 mile per hour sustained and with gusts that are even higher so if you pick up a little bit of wind uh on the podcast I apologize I have nothing I can do about it Okay, <laughs> thanks for the warning. Uh, what's the music that brought us in today? That uh, is uh, a guy who calls himself Phosphorescent. Uh, the name of the track is New Birth in New England. We, I think we featured uh, another track by him a while back called Song for Zula, which is another really good song. Uh, but this New Birth in New England, which you know, kind of fitting for the Patriots since they have now won a couple in a row and beat the Chiefs last night. Uh, I know you like it when I tie the music into the into the podcast or into football, uh, but it's the third track off his uh, 2018 album "Say La Vie," so uh, check it out. All right, cool. Before we get into the injury report for Week Six, don't forget we have an iPhone or an iPad app that helps you set your highest scoring lineup every week and pick the highest scoring free agents for the week and and rest of the season. It's a free download. Just search four for four or League Sync in the App Store. I, I've downloaded that um, uh, the last couple of weeks now. It's been fantastic. It's it's easy. In fact, it helped me secure a victory with uh, my defensive choices and my kicker choices. Uh, I always use John's rankings at 444.com to kind of help me with everything else. But it's nice to know that, okay, from a waiver wire standpoint, who's going to score me the highest that's available on the waiver wire? And can I have any improvements at certain positions? That's what League Sync helps you do. Existing pro and DFS subscribers get full access to the app's features. Everyone else receives a seven-day free trial, so make sure you check it out. Again, all you have to do is search 444 or League Sync in your app store. Let's dive into the injuries, and I'll just spend two seconds talking about Baker Mayfield. He suffered an ankle injury during that loss to the Chargers yesterday. For I was at a bar, and I was watching all the games, so it's not like I, I studied this one specifically. But I, I do remember thinking, John, that a couple times – his, he just didn't. Baker Mayfield just didn't look right, and perhaps the injury had something to do with it. But he is expected to play in Week Seven against the Buccaneers, so it, follow follow that throughout the week. But it looks like he's going to be fine. There's a there's a lot of players though that suffered day to day injuries, including Amari Cooper, who took a nasty shot in London by a Seattle defender yesterday, suffered a concussion. He's day to day. I think this is a good opportunity to just talk about Amari Cooper as a whole, John, because I feel like he's still 
flummoxing uh, owners, fantasy owners that want to believe in him, that want to believe that the rookie year wasn't a fluke, but he continues to disappoint. I think I, I appeared on uh, Chris Harris's podcast a while ago, and I told him, I mentioned in passing, that I've made a living off of fading Amari Cooper fantasy rankings. Um, <laughs> he's always uh, ranked higher than he should be. There's to me, but, um, you know, then he, then he blows up. He has a great game. I mean, he's just so inconsistent. One for nine against the Rams, 10 for 116 against Denver the following week, then two for 17 against the Dolphins, then one for 128 and a touchdown against Cleveland, and then one for 10 against the Chargers, and then Goose Egg yesterday on 20% of the snaps. Um, just all over the place with his production. You can't count on him, uh, really. Uh, with... As far as trying to capitalize on this, I think Martavis Bryant is probably the play, although he didn't do much yesterday. He only saw three targets, but his snap percentage jumped from uh, 43% in week four, 25% in week five. It jumped all the way up to 72% uh, in week six in London there with, with Cooper out. So he's the most likely ben, you know, primary beneficiary of, of, the, of the injury. Jordy Nelson is obviously would be leaned on more, but he only saw three targets, two catches, six yards. Uh, he's been playing over 90% of the snaps recently. So uh, maybe a little bit of Seth Roberts as well, PPR formats, he, five catches for 31 yards, six targets. But he's he's never been anybody that's consistent either. So I think I would probably go with Bryant if you're trying to shore up the receiver position and you think that maybe Cooper might miss next week. Calvin well, actually, Ridley. yeah, go ahead. They're, they're actually on a bye. So that works out I think, well. Uh, yeah, Cooper and the Raiders are on a bye week seven, so um, I'm sure he'll be back, pretty sure he'll be back week eight for Indianapolis. Calvin Ridley is also day-to-day, suffered an ankle injury, left that, that Falcon-Buck game fairly early. I think it was in the second quarter, uh, maybe even early third quarter when he suffered the injury. Muhammad Sanu, might as well talk about him here. He also left with a, with a hip injury that had been bothering him all last week. You would have thought that Julio Jones would have scored a touchdown then, uh, but he didn't. Alas, he racked up a lot of catches and yards like Julio Jones always does. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Falcons' receiving core with Ridley and Sanu banged up? Well, Justin Hardy saw seven targets this week. Uh, I would say that Austin Hooper is probably the primary beneficiary if, if Sanu and or um, Ridley are out. He saw 10 targets in week six. He saw 12 targets in week five. Um, you know, Hardy's targets jumped as well, but I would feel, you know, I don't feel too confident that he's going to start producing at Sanu level or Ridley level numbers. He only caught three passes for 33 yards against the Buccaneers, which is one of the best, if not the best, receiver matchup. Uh, so, you know, maybe super, super deep leagues. You look at him if it looks like Ridley and Sanu won't play. Uh, but they they have the, the Giants this week in Week 7, which is not a great matchup. I think it'll be a lot of Jones and a lot of Hooper. Quincy Inunua, day-to-day, sprained ankle. He's He's been a ghost recently. Uh, Robbie Anderson has been the stud receiver there. Jermaine Kearse probably sees a bit of an up, uptick as well, right? Uh, yeah, uh, I was looking at uh, the box score for this game and you know Terrell Pryor caught um I was it five passes five passes 57 yards and a touchdown on six targets Robbie Anderson I think had like three for 37 Jermaine Curse uh I think he had nine catches uh 94 yards and 10 targets so you know Anderson coming off that huge game uh 
even with the Nunwa out for most of this game, doesn't um, post much, you know, post very good numbers. He only had five targets. He played 75% of snaps, which is pretty much on par for what he's been doing this year. It's just uh, the production's all over the place in this in this passing attack. I mean, one day it's like trying to hit whack-a-mole, trying to figure out who's <laughs> going to... I mean, I think Anunua was the safest play this week, but then he, you know, he got one target, 15 snaps, and got, you know, fumbled the ball, I believe. And, yeah, he fumbled and turned the ball over. Uh, it was like a wide receiver screen. Got tackled from behind and fumbled the ball and then uh, left the game. So so it is what it is. Uh the the matchup against the Vikings is pretty good uh, in terms of AFPA. They're 26 in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers, but in terms of you know predicting who it's going to be uh, in this week, this coming week, I, I I really can't tell you. I'll just uh, try to grind the grind the rankings as best I can. We'll see if Anun was able to play this week. Uh, if he's if he's active, I think he's probably the most likely to see eight to ten targets. A couple more receivers that are day-to-day. Cooper Cup suffered a sprained knee. Remember, he suffered a concussion last week against Seattle, so this is a new injury for him. Cooper Cup has been so reliable. I mean, his his ceiling might be tapped week to week, but his floor remains high. And I've, I, I know that you've been ranking him as a solid wide receiver too, John. So while the Rams' offense necessarily wouldn't take a hit, uh, Cooper Cup, again, has been so reliable in that wide receiver too. This is This is an injury worth monitoring. Certainly, and if he's out, um, we probably will see more Josh Reynolds. Um, he played 62% of the snaps against Denver. He only only was targeted twice, had one catch for negative two yards, so that's not really the type of production you're looking for. But he had, you know, he played 55% of the snaps in Week Five against the Seahawks. Caught two passes for 39 yards and three touchdowns or uh, three to, on three targets. Had one rush for 10 yards. So I think he. If if Cup's out, he start he enters the fray as the number three receiver there, or the number three option there in that passing attack. One more wide receiver, and then we got a quarterback injury to go over. Ryan Grant, day to day sprained ankle. The the Colts continue to suffer injuries at the wide receiver position with T. Y. Hilton already out. Just more good news, I guess, for Chester Rogers. Although uh, if you if you're playing Chester Rogers, it's kind of a dart throw at this point. <laughs> Chester had uh, has had double digit targets the last three weeks: 11, 11, and ten. Uh, I know he, I saw him drop a ball in the red zone channel, but he ended up with four for 55 and a touchdown on 10 targets and 67% of the snaps, eight for 85 in week four, eight for 66 in week five. I think we talked about him on the Friday pod as, as a sneaky start. Uh, as long as T.Y. Hilton's out now, if if, um, uh, if uh, Ryan Grant's out as well, then he's going to be the primary chain mover in this, in this offense along with Eric Ebron. They have a tough matchup against the, the Bills, though, in Week 7. Uh, so we'll see we'll, we'll see where the matchups come out and uh, see, see who's run, who he's going to be running his routes against there because uh, there's uh, some good corners in that def- in that Buffalo defense. So uh, I don't know how Andrew Luck's doing it with this beat-up receiving core, but uh, he's getting it done. All right, one more injury note. Josh Allen, not that you're, you're targeting a lot of Bills players, but he did self, suffer an elbow injury. He's day-to-day. Looks like Derek Anderson might get the call now. I mean, Nathan Nathan Peterman has been just awful. Um, but spent a couple – I guess spent a couple seconds talking about the Bills offense with Josh Allen out. Yeah. Sorry, I had to take a drink <laughs> of water before I talked about the Bills offense. Um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to kick that back to me. Well, there's not um, much, I guess there's not much to say with Buffalo's offense. Yeah, Nathan Peter. I mean, I saw a report that Josh Allen asked uh, Kelvin Benjamin before the game, "Do you want to go? You know, go through some routes?" And 
Benjamin's like, nah, I mean, he's like, I'm good. Unreal. You know, it just kind of sums up where the bills are right now. And, uh, yeah, the, the only fantasy option there is LaShawn McCoy just do, do, you know, do, do his volume that he gets and, uh, involvement in the offense, but they're just not going to score many touchdowns this year. And, uh, it's just kind of a, kind of a bad offense, right? It's dreadful. It's it's the worst in the league. I mean, <laughs> the the defense has been so good that the, the, they've kind of masked. You know, they won one in Minnesota. They won against Tennessee uh, last week because of their defense. They really hung with Houston. It was the offense that continued. You know, it's, it's just dragging the Bills down. They're not they're they're not as bad as what they could be because because of that defense and it actually leads me to believe that Sean McDermott is a pretty good head coach he's just dealing with uh unfortunately a stacked deck against him so uh, moving on to some fantasy quick hitters what's your advice for Corey Davis owners at this point uh, the Titans can't pass protect for Mar- Marcus Mariota but you know Mariota continues to target Davis as his number 1 Davis really just he suffered yesterday because of the the Titans inability to move the ball a good player stuck in a bad situation. So what's your advice to Corey Davis owners? Oh yeah. The, the targets are there. Um, So I I would stick with him in terms of, especially this week with, with the chargers on deck here, week seven, I think he'll be a pretty solid start. I mean, he's, he's averaging 8.2 targets per game. He was down a little bit the last two weeks. I mean, Buffalo is a weird team to play against. He had six targets, uh, four for 49 against them. And then Baltimore, very good defense, um, four targets, one catch for 24 yards. I think things will open up a little bit here against the Chargers in Week 7. And then he goes on his bye, um, comes off against Dallas, comes off the bye against Dallas and New England, and then Indianapolis and Houston. So I think in the short term, he'll be he'll be okay. You're going to probably want to start him Week 7. Obviously, you're not going to play him during his bye unless you don't pay attention to your roster uh starting lineup uh you're one of those owners uh and coming out of the bye i think he'll be okay i mean it's hard to just sit a guy who's getting eight targets a game and i i think he's got enough talent to to capitalize on it cole beasley racked up nine catches for 101 yards and two touchdowns but do you think that he's going to be fantasy relevant moving forward if you're looking at your waiver wire you need a receiver this week uh, is he, and actually I should have looked to see if Dallas is, is playing or if they're on their bye, uh, but is Cole Beasley fantasy relevant moving forward? A, he has the Redskins here in weeks, uh, week seven. Uh, he's had a couple of decent PPR games against them in the last couple of years. He had five for 56 back, back in 2016 on six targets, five for 75 uh, also in 2016 on six targets. Last two matchups have been pretty bad in 2017, two for 14 and two for eight, both, both three targets. Uh, in each of those games so you know I after week one with Beasley I added him in a couple leagues for PPR because he had seven catches for 73 yards on eight targets and it looked like he was just gonna be the primary option in the passing game but then you know he had three targets in week two didn't do anything with them really five targets in week three three for 46 five targets in week four four for 53 so in deep leagues where you know it's PPR and you sometimes need a guy that's going to get you seven to nine points and that you're happy with that or you're content with that, then he's a good guy to add or a good guy to hold. Um, I mean, you can't expect him. I mean, this is a bad matchup against Jacksonville and he ends up with nine for one hundred one and two touchdowns on eleven targets. You can't. Most people that had him wouldn't even start him last week unless he was totally. They were totally uh, stuck it by and didn't have anybody to plug in. So. Uh, not predictable production for him. And uh, Washington's a pretty good matchup. He's got a bye in week eight. And then, you know, a series of 
pretty good matchups. There's nobody down the stretch here that's higher than 12th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers, but you just can't trust on his volume in this offense when he's, you know, averaging or he's in, he's in the three to five target range from week two to week five. One more question, then we'll get to some RBBC situations. And I almost had this question in RBBC, but, I mean, it's worth asking right now. What what should Jordan Howard owner's concern level be at this point? He finished with 14 carries for 69 yards. It's not like he's – it's not like the Bears are facing him out of the offense. But unlike Tariq Cohen, who finished with seven catches on nine targets for 90 yards, Jordan Howard is not factoring into the passing game at, at all. I mean, had a pretty good matchup yesterday. Couldn't capitalize – is this like where Alex Collins, and we'll get to him, but is this where Alex Collins' owners were a week ago where he's Jordan Howard's just not a, a trusty RB2 at this point? Trustworthy RB2? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the yards that he had came really late. If you remember that, uh, I mean, I, I Red Zone Channel kind of switched over to that Bears-Dolphins uh, game uh, late, and uh, he had a couple of big runs in that. I guess the last drive that they were trying to get into field goal range. Uh, so I don't know what he had before that, but he couldn't have been too much. He must have been under under 50 or 40 or 50 yards rushing at that point, um, 10 to 11 carries. We talked about this in the offseason where they talked about, the team talked about getting Howard involved in the passing game, and we were wondering why when you have Tariq Cohen, who's such a good electric uh, pass catcher, receiver out of the backfield why would you why would you force feed it to Howard and then they did and he actually did pretty well he caught um 10 of his first 11 targets but his targets have diminished each week five four two and one then one so they're not using him in the passing game like they did at the start of the season it wasn't like he was dropping passes or doing poorly so it really logically makes no sense other than the fact that they realized maybe that Tariq Cohen um is the, if you're going to be passing to the running back, they should be passing it to him. He's got seven catches in each of the last two weeks, 121 yards uh, against Tampa in week four, 90 yards this week against Miami, uh, eight and nine targets each week. So if I'm Jordan Howard owners, I'm worried. He's looking like he's only really an option and a good option as an RB2 in, in standard formats because he's going to get that 12 to 16 carries a week. Uh, the issue, I think, upcoming here, at least in short term, week seven against New England, is if the Bears fall behind, it's not going to be a whole lot of uh, rushes for Jordan Howard. All right, some RBBC situations. Let's start off with the Broncos. Philip Lindsay, six receptions on seven targets, 49 yards on four carries. Um, I'm sorry, 49 yards on uh, the the six receptions. He had 18 yards rushing on four carries. Then he had Royce Freeman, nine carries, 22 yards. And I think I th- we've we've talked about the Broncos now the last couple of weeks, and it is it is a committee. But uh, this is Philip Lindsay's show, right? Pretty much, uh, you know, PPR this week, 12.6 for for Lindsay, 2.2 for for Freeman. Standards closer, obviously, 6.6 to 2.2. Um, you know, last four weeks touches are 43 to 39. So not that, that far apart, but the last two weeks, uh, it's 25 to 17. So it seems like it's shifting more into Lindsay's favor. And this was after 
Vance Joseph said that he was looking forward to feeding the ball more to Royce Freeman, so we can't trust anything he, he says anymore. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the Bucks. This is an interesting situation. You got Peyton Barber, finally looked good. He had 13 carries, 82 yards, and the 82 yards shocked me because I thought Atlanta did a pretty good job from a run defense standpoint. Uh, they, give, they gave up one big run to Peyton Barber, so that's got to be factored in here. But he also had four catches on four targets for 24 additional yards, and they got Ronald Jones a little bit more involved all three passes that were thrown to him were caught for 16 yards. They were, they were short. They were quick. I mean, right off the line of scrimmage, Jameis Winston, Winston was dumping it to him. Uh, he also had one carry for three yards. Just when we thought we could give up on Peyton Barber and move on, and Ronald Jones is an interesting waiver wire candidate, Barber has a decent day, but it also was against an Atlanta defense that, was, that has been extremely banged up for weeks. Yeah, week four, uh, it was 10 carries for Jones, one reception. He actually out-touched Peyton Barber in that game. And heading into the week five bye, I thought that they would use that that opportunity to kind of shift the backfield over to Jones since they drafted him so early. And Barber really hadn't done anything uh, to stake his claim for the job at that point. And then they come out against Atlanta, and he's running like he, his job's on the line because it probably was. <laughs> Uh, so now if he hit the waiver wire, I think you got to pick him back up or go get him because, you know, 17 touches, 106 total yards and a touchdown. Um, that's, you know, you don't find that too often on the, on the waiver wire. Is he going to be trustworthy? Probably not, but he's coming off of a really bad stretch of games. New Orleans is fifth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Philly was 11th, Pittsburgh sixth, Chicago third. Then he had his bye and came out in his first good matchup and kind of tore it up. And then looking up at the next few matchups, Cleveland's 13th, uh, Cincinnati's 27th, Carolina's 18th, Washington's 19th, Giants are 21st, San Francisco's 23rd, and Carolina's 18th. So through week 13, he doesn't have a team in the top 12 and adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back. So um, and those numbers are going to be updated tomorrow, but um, that's a really good stretch of games. I think if you're in trouble at running back, uh, you can pick him up, and if he's continuing, if, he, if he's going to have this sort of success in a good matchup, then he should be able to, you know, four or five yards a carry uh, against Cleveland, Cincinnati, Carolina, those types of teams. He should be productive if he's getting this sort of workload. All right, the Colts, we talk about them every week. Marlon Mack, 12 carries, 89 yards, one of two in terms of receptions per targets for only four yards. Naheem Hines, three carries, 14 yards, two of three for 21 yards. And Jordan Wilkins did not record a touch. Uh, I think Robert Turbin also had a fumble in that game. I, I, how many running backs do you need, Colts? Uh, but Mac, <laughs> you, you know, you've been high, relatively high on Mac, yeah, being the lead, the lead back here, and that certainly bore out yesterday. Yeah, as I mentioned on previous pods, I watched all of his touches from the second half of last season and was very impressed by it. I watched that, watched those this off season, and I thought he looked like a, a lead back type. And you know, the knock on him was that he wasn't willing to run up the middle, uh, bouncing everything outside. And that may have happened at the start of the season last year, but what I, from what I saw, when the, there were holes up the middle, he was running through them and wasn't trying to bounce them outside. I thought I saw some good tough running from him uh, the second half of last season. So Jim Ursay came out in August and said that he was going to be a 1500 yard back. He was going to see 16 to 20 touches per game. And then, you know, then the hamstring injury hit, um, and he's had a setback. I know he's hit a lot of waiver wires. Uh, we've been talking about him as a prospect type pickup. Uh, if he was available as a guy who's once he was healthy, should see a pretty good touch share. And he ended up, 
Uh, CN 13 out of 23 touches, running back touches yesterday. Turbin ended up seeing five. Hines ended up seeing five. Wilkins completely out of the picture. Um, and then the snaps, uh, snap percentage is 35% for Mack, 19 for Turbin, and 43% for Hines because of all the, I guess, passing down work. So um, you're probably going to end up seeing Mack in sort of the lead role on Hines in, in a two-minute drill and obvious passing situations because he's a little bit better receiver. But I think, uh, you know, in this, this sort of workload, I think Mack can put up RB two numbers uh, depending on the matchup. All right, Dolphins, Frank Gore just won't go away. 15 carries, 101 yards, one catch for 18 yards, and won't go away. I say that I say that lovingly for Frank Gore. Uh, Ke- uh, Kenyon Drake, 13 carries, 57 yards, four catches, 21 yards. I, I've, I still see Frank Gore available in certain waiver wires in, in some leagues, John. I, with all the running back it, it, injuries and you know bye weeks now a factor, I'm surprised that Frank Gore still remains on some waiver wires. Yeah, and this is a situation you need to monitor this week with with Gore because he late last in the last game he came down hard on his knee, um, and then they handed him the ball on a, like I think it was a third and one, or maybe it was a second and one. But he was at he was at the one yard line didn't didn't convert. Then they gave it to Drake. <laughs> um, who fumbled and then had his head under a towel. My son Max said he felt bad for him, Kenyon Drake. And then, I mean, so it, he, I, it was a great lesson about sticking with it because he ended up contributing to the game winning drive. But with Gore, he was really limping on that knee. And then in that overtime period, I don't think he touched the ball at all or very little. It was Drake. It was Drake that was uh, handling all the t- touches on there. Their third or their second overtime drive. So we'll see if he's able to play. If he's not, then it's the opening that Drake needs to to get those 20, 18 to twenty touches that he probably needs to be a solid RB two. Um, so this this is one of those situations where you got an older player. How bad is that knee? Um, he wasn't able to play in overtime. Let's see. Let's see what he can do this week in practice. Jets, Powell, 16 carries, 59 yards, one catch. Crowell, 13 carries, 40 yards, two of two in the passing game for 12 yards. And uh, this this continues to be a, a true committee. Both of these guys are seeing time. Yeah, I'm just looking at this Isaiah Crowell's game log, and I just have to read it off here. Week one, 10 for 102, two touchdowns. Week two, 12 for 35, nothing in the touchdown department. Cleveland, week three, 16 for 32, two touchdowns. Jacksonville, four carries, zero yards. Denver, 15 carries, 219 yards, and a touchdown. Indianapolis, 13 carries for 40 yards. So it's like every other week. Um, and then next week, it's my uh, Minnesota. The week, you know, uh, they're fourth and adjusted fantasy points out to running back. So I think this streak might be broken um, next week. But every other week, he's been a, a good fantasy bet. Um Looking at the touches on the year, though, it's 85 to 78. It's very much a committee. Correll's getting most of the touchdowns. He's got five, whereas Blah Powell only has one, and it's a receiving touchdown. So Correll's getting all the running touchdowns. He's the better bet on a weekly basis. This week I thought Powell would have a chance to make some noise uh, since he's the better receiver, but he ended up not getting uh, a single reception, only had one target, uh, though he did out-touch. Crowell 16 to 15. So I think we're just looking at a clear RBBC and, uh, you know, 
you're going to have to live with uh, Crowell's up, touch, touchdown upside and downside. Ravens, Buck Allen, one carry, one yard, three catches for 18 yards. Alex Collins, who I benched, of course, 19 carries, 54 yards, two touchdowns. That, that game, they, the, the Baltimore game script, if you can figure it out, John, you know which running back to play because if, if, they're, if they're throwing the ball, that Buck Allen's the guy. If they're running, then Alex Collins is perfect. So if you can figure that out each week, uh, you know who to play Ravens-wise. Yeah, and the difference this week was is that they just totally went away from Buck Allen as a runner. He In, in week four, he had 10 for 30, which is not good. Uh, but he was involved in the running game, two catches for 17 yards, and then he was a receiver. Against uh, Cleveland, he had eight for 34, but he had a fumble. And he had six catches for 44 yards, and that was week five. And then this last week, week six, one carry for one yard, three catches for 18 yards. And then all of a sudden, Gus Edwards is getting running work. He had 10 carries for 42 yards uh, against Tennessee and just basically got all of uh, Buck Allen's work in the running game. So now we're back to Alex Collins as the best play in this backfield, even though he didn't catch any passes. Um, you know, he had the 19 for 54 and two touchdowns. This will be a strange week against, uh, it'll be interesting to, to see what he's, how involved he is week seven against the, the saints. They're playing at home and it's all, you know, it's all about how well they're running the ball. And if they're staying in the game, if they fall behind, then you might see a lot of, Buck Allen is the primary receiving back out of this backfield, but if it's competitive, um, you know, Collins has seen double-digit carries in four straight games and uh, obviously produced a couple touchdowns this week. One more, Seahawks. you got three running backs involved. you got Chris Carson, 14 carries, 59 yards. you got Rashad Penny, nine carries, 43 yards, two catches, 20 for 27 yards. And then you got Mike Davis, who had six carries, 21 yards, one of three, four, five yards. I'll go all the way back to the start of the season, John. I said I want nothing to do with that Seattle backfield, and I feel really good that I don't have to get go through this mess each week. I don't know how you do it from a ranking standpoint. <laughs> well, I... I, I see what happened and try to figure out what's going to happen. And it, you're looking at week five and you come out of that and it's like, okay, this is Carson and Davis uh, because Davis did well. He had 20, 12 carries for 68 yards against the Rams and a touchdown and a couple catches for seven yards. And then they decide, oh, we, we still have Rashad Penny on the team. So let's get him involved. Um, and so Davis only ends up with six carries against the Raiders um, Penny with nine. I need to look at see when he was getting all his touches. Was it after the Raiders sort of gave up on the game, or was it uh, throughout the game? Because he ended up with eleven touches, Davis only seven, and Carson with fourteen. So we're like in a three-way uh, committee. And uh, as you mentioned, these aren't uh, really productive for fantasy owners. All right, before we get to the Monday Night Football matchup, a lot of injuries to get to there. Four for four, wanted to remind you, just cut the prices for our rest of season subscriptions. You can get a classic subscription for $19, a pro subscription for $39, and our DFS subscription for $79. Plus, there's more. If you use the code TMAP, you can get an additional additional 10% off. TMAP for an additional 10% off those subscriptions. All right, John, Monday Night Football matchup, 49ers, you got... Uh, Brita, who apparently is, he's trying to play tonight. He's trying to force his way in. If he plays, certainly that, that hurts anyone that picked up and is ready to start Alfred Morris. You've also got tight end George Kittle, who's questionable. Uh, Packers wise, you get all the receivers that are questionable. So 
Talk to us about a, a fantasy perspective here for this 49ers pack up Packers matchup with all these injuries. Well, I think at this point, owners' hands are a little bit tied unless like Marquez, uh, Marcus Valdez Scantling, Scantling is still out there um, on the waiver wire, or Equinemius St. Brown is potentially out there on the waiver wire. If I, I would think that Geronimo Allison has a better chance to play than Randall Cobb because this hamstring injury for Allison came. We we learned about it after the concussion, so I don't know when he hurt his hamstring. I think he's his hamstring's probably better than Cobb's. They both practiced a limited fashion this week, um, so we'll see who who's able to play. If they both play, uh, Allison's been more productive than Cobb this year, uh, more consistent. So I would play him over Cobb. Uh, if one or two, you know, one or two of them out, uh, uh, Valdez Scantling is a good play because he produced last week. So did St. Brown. If they're if they're both out, uh, and then for the running backs for the 49ers, I still think Morris will probably lead the team in carries. Breda is going to be has to be limited if he's playing because uh, he was pretty much doubtful through Friday and then now has a chance to play. Uh, so he might play through the injury. Uh, I don't know if he'll be as effective as usual. Um, and I would think that the, the 49ers would favor Morris in that back uh, in that backfield. And you've also got Kyle Juszczyk that can uh, – I just sound like Al Michaels there, Juszczyk, <laughs> uh, who can catch passes uh, you know, as, as out of the fullback position. I think Kittle will play. He's sounding like he was going to play all week. This is just one of those Monday nights where there's six or seven questionable players. But uh, from the from the 49ers side, I think uh, Kittle's going to play. Breda might play. You can still start Morris and be okay. It's just if if Breda's out, then um, uh, Morris is a pretty strong RB two in my opinion. All right, John. Good luck to your team tonight. Thank you. We need it. Sure, you'll be fine. It'll be fine. 49ers are so – I mean, they're decimated. I was, I was doing a Monday Night Football pick for uh, our website, and it's just looking at all the injuries on both sides of the ball for the 49ers, it's unbelievable. So hopefully it's not even close for you, and you don't have to sweat it, and you can maybe do something else in the second half because they're up 49 to nothing. So uh, that's John Paulson, 444.com. You can follow him on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stalter. We'll talk to you on Friday for Week 7. Can't believe – Week six is nearly in the books, and we're already moving on to week seven. It's it's crazy. It's already been a really good football season, and uh, we're moving quickly through it. So hopefully you'll join us then on the Most Accurate Podcast.